Okay, this morning I'm just going to read just a, a few scriptures and, and just be uh, very brief this morning. And uh, I'm going to read uh, in, in uh, John, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And this is quite an amazing uh, truth here that's brought out in the scriptures here this morning. And uh, as I was thinking, if we remember, <clears throat> long uh, after the fall of, of Adam and then the development of the human race, we can see in, in Genesis, the 11th chapter, how God had to come down and confound them. And he did that. He did that by giving all kinds of different languages to the individuals that all, all of humanity that were there assembled because they had a plan that they were going to do something to reach up to God. You'll see that in Genesis, the 11th chapter. And so it's, it says in, in Genesis 11, verse 1, it says, the whole earth was of one was of one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go, let us make brick, and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and they had slime, uh, had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build a city, and a tower where, whose top may reach into heaven. And let us, make, let us make a name. So here's all of humanity, and they were going to do something. They were going to do something without God. They were going to make a name for themselves. <clears throat> and then it says, to make a name, lest we be scattered abroad, upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they, have, they all have one language. They all speak the same. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. You know, and of course, an imagination is, is outside the very thought of God, how God thinks. <laughs> Verse 7, go to, let us go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there upon the face of the earth and they left off to build the city. They couldn't do it because they couldn't understand. They could still speak. All these different people groups, they could still speak a language, but they couldn't understand and communicate to another to do that thing that they desired to do. And this is why we've said so many times here, you know, words have meaning. And all words, true language, that's, that's true language. I'm not talking about slang or foul language at all, of course, because we know that there's no evil with God in uh, James 1 and verse 13. But in original languages, they came from God. That's, we see that crystal clear, even in Genesis, the 11th chapter. And so words have tremendous meaning. 
even in our English language. And that's why if there's a misunderstanding about certain words, there's a, there's a great dictionary that we have. It's called the 1828 Noah Webster Dictionary. And that man was a polyglot, meaning he studied and was familiar with every kind of language, even way back, even way back till now to where they came from. So, because words, again, words have meaning. They have tremendous meaning. Now, a lot of words have changed. And I want to get into, I'm going to get in, I'm going to save the best for last, a beautiful word that God has given us. But I just want us to see here, for instance, and again, this is not a condemnation, it's not an accusation, it's just, just for us to understand that when God gave a language, he gave it as a means of expressing himself. That's what he gave it for, because words have meaning. And so I'm just going to give you a couple of words, and this is in, and we'll get into this again much in a much deeper way on, on Monday morning. But here, for instance, we use this word a lot. Now again, it's not condemnation or anything. But I'm just going to give you the meaning of words. And as far as how God gave them, <laughs> they didn't change their meaning. For instance, we've heard this word, cool. C-O-O-L, cool. And, and what does that mean today? Does it have the same meaning? Again, this isn't condemnation. This is just loving instruction that will say, that thing is cool. Or that, when we used to say, that thing is nice. Or that thing has, it's very attractive. Here's what the word cool means. And it's beautiful to understand it. And it's precise, unchanging meaning. And here it is. Cool means not excited by passion. We've, we've been taught that we don't live by our emotions as believers in Christ. We don't live by the height of them, in the height of them, or in the low of them. <laughs> we don't live by them. And that's 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith and not by sight or by feelings, emotions. So it means not excited by passion of any kind. That's what it means to be cool. Not retaining heat. It's literally what it means. And we're going to see how these have tremendous meaning in their original form. And it means light. It has to do with light. Okay? It means not retaining heat. Light. It means to allay heat. To reduce the temperature of a substance. To moderate excitement of temper to allay as passion of any kind, any kind. To calm, having to do with anger. Isn't, that, isn't this great to understand these things in Christ? To abate this anger, to abate it, to get it away, as having to do with God's love. So God wants us to remain cool <laughs> and not heated up by our emotions, but to remain to remain cool and calm as to anger and open to his love. This is what this word means. It means to moderate, or in other words, to balance. To moderate. Excitement of temper. That's what it means. To allay as passion of any kind. 
to calm, to abate, to moderate as desire, having to do with like a zeal. What does that mean? Do you remember what the Holy Spirit gave uh, the Apostle Paul when he was talking about those, his own people? He was a Jew. He always considered himself a Christian. <laughs> he always did from the point that he met Christ in Acts the ninth chapter in the sixth verse. But here in Romans 10, verse 1, it says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel, those of his, his own, uh, the way that he grew up and as a Jew, that they might be saved, that they might deliver, be delivered. Here's what he says in verse 2. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, meaning they're hot. They have a passion for God, but look what it says, but not according to knowledge. And we know in Ephesians 3 and verse 19, to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. So there's a love that it's talking about here. Now, when we don't have that, and we get like in our own walk, when our emotions get us heated up, or for whatever reason, when they do, look what it says in verse 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And so really, there was a zeal. There was a zeal or an ardor. They had a zeal for God, but it wasn't according to Christ. Therefore, they weren't cool, calm, in the midst of circumstances and situations. They just weren't. They weren't. And so that's what this is saying. They have an ardor. And it means to render indifferent. And what that means is to render indifferent, meaning keeping out anything in our minds, what is indifferent to God's love for us and God's love for others. It keeps it out. It differentiates between the two. This is this word cool that we see in, 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 in this English, English language that God has given us. So, and it means this, to lose the heat of excitement or passion. See, his love comes in when we experience it, and it just cools us right down. Puts us in a very balanced place. To become less ardent, to become less angry, less zealous of wrong, wrong thinking, and then having wrong emotions. Or, and there, or to bring in proper affections which has to do with God's love. And it means to become more moderate. This word cool, and this is what it means. To not speak in passions. Meaning we don't speak in our emotions. Because emotions can't speak. They can't. They can't communicate truth. Emotions. So if I don't have the mind of Christ, the word which always keeps me in a very moderate, cool place in his love, then what is that? What do I become? I, I, I start speaking in a passion, which means emotions. I'll, my emotions will be what, what, has been, what I allow to dictate to me what reality is and is it. You know, there's no reality outside of God's love. And there's no, there's no protection outside of God's love. There just isn't. And so that's what it means. It means to, to speak not in a passion. First, let your temper cool. <laughs> let your temper cool. Isn't that amazing? That's just one word. 
in its original meaning, the, the very original meaning of it, is chock full of meaning, even in, the, even in the English language. Because listen, words have meaning. And if they don't have proper meaning and they change, they become something else through our own interpretation. Again, this is not said to condemn. I'm just honestly, just in, in love, without accusation or condemnation, just teaching what these words literally mean. Just like you would teach the word of God. Another word, and this is a really sad one too. This is a really sad, sad word. But we, 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 we speak about today homosexuals and lesbians and we say to them that they're gay. That's what we put. We put, that, we put to their lifestyle that they're living in, that's who they are, they're gay. It's not at all what, what as far as God's concerned, the way he gave that, that word for us to understand. No, truth of the matter is, when you don't function in your proper image and you don't understand the, the exchange of a, of a beautiful image between a man and a woman, then, you, you, then you're just honestly, and, and Revelation, uh, in Romans 1, 18 to 32, goes into detail about these things goes into detail about them. This is the word gay. This is literally as God gave this English language word. This is what it means. It means to be merry. Listen to what it says. It denotes more life and animation than even being cheerful. You know what that means, don't you? Life. Who is, our, who is our life? It's Christ. And what kind of life is that? It is a love life. That's, to be gay means to be so animated and so, in the Christian spiritual sense, so overwhelmed with his love that it even goes beyond being cheerful. Words have meaning. And in Malachi 3.6, God said, I am the Lord thy God, I change not. Then in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. The meaning, the meaning of words that God gave them do not change. Do not change. Because the only way that they can is to allow the enemy to come in and bring in a substitution. A substitution to it. This is just really explaining these words. And there's other words that, that are used. And you won't even find, and I say the 1828 Dictionary because it is the most concise dictionary for the English language on planet Earth. It's because God raised up that man, Noah, uh, Noah Webster, to bring in, through the gift that he gave them as a polyglot, all kinds of languages. And they all come to the summation of these particular words in the English but this is the word that I, I really wanted to get to, is God, uh, just for me, so ministering his love to me the past two days, past two mornings, yesterday and, and this morning. It, it just came in in such an amazing way. That's why the Bible always teaches us that God who is love, he only can flow through grace. He only flows through grace, something we don't deserve. Furthermore, it's we can't even prepare ourselves for the, the abundance of his love to, for him to shower it upon us. 
You ever notice that? You can be going through things and, and going through all kinds of things. At many times we know that in Daniel 7.25, the enemy, Satan here, he speaks great words against the Most High to wear out the saints. You know, when we don't have his love, when we don't experience his love, we, when we don't, we're not cool. <laughs> we don't remain cool. And then we, we don't experience what it means to be truly gay. Truly gay. With a love life that is so animated in us, it goes even beyond being cheerful. <laughs> it's almost like it just, it just explodes over language in such a beautiful way. I was thinking this morning, and, and I, th- I believe we're all like this. As a matter of fact, I know we are. In the midst of spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, we're all involved in a spiritual warfare, each and every one of us. Each and every single one of us has a whole atmosphere of an innumerable amount of a third of angels. In Revelation 12 and verse 4, you can't even number them, honestly. And they cannot touch our position. The wicked one, in 1 John 5, 18, the B part, the wicked one touches us not. He can't touch our position. So he comes in with his whole angelic army, literally. Comes in against us, and he speaks great words against the Most High. Can they have an effect on him? On God? No. Who would they have an effect on? That would be us if we don't understand experientially our position in Christ. So when I say like the things that I go through, I never exclude a single believer in Christ. I don't think I'm going through it more or less. I just believe it's true about every single one of us. We're all equal in terms of our salvation in Christ in Galatians 3 and verse 26. And so in that equality... Because of the height of our position in the book of Ephesians, the epistle of Ephesians, the height of our position in Christ is going to be the measure of that uh, that enemy coming against us. Because that is the height of the glory of God, his son being glorified with you and I in him. And the enemy can't touch the position, so he's going to do everything he can to come against our experience. We have to be so on guard that's Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. It brings it in very clearly. Uh, we have to constantly put on the word of God, put on the armor, constantly. And then enter with that armor into a prayer life which teaches dependence based upon humility to give us the grace that will exalt us above the enemy in all his imaginations and, proje- and projections in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, 5, and 6. But this morning... And the enemy comes in and he's so subtle. And I'm just, I'm speaking for myself, but I, I promise you I'm speaking for each and every one of us. Because we all have Christ in us. We all have the measure of Christ in us. Maybe different measures of growth in grace, but it's still we have the increase in John 3.30. We have the increase. But for us to realize it, we must decrease. And this is where we're having this learning. And words have tremendous meaning. Tremendous meaning this morning. But there's a particular thing that the enemy always uses against me in a very intense way. The way he would do it with each of us if we give him a place in Ephesians 4 and verse 27. If we give him a place 
and that's experience because he can't touch the place of opposition. In comes the guilt and condemnation and projections of things that even may have happened years ago and how they affected certain people. And I had this one person in mind and as the enemy was crowding in on me these past couple of days to really crush me like he would do with any of us. And God would allow it for us to run to him, by the way. But as this was happening to me, he brought out a beautiful, he just brought it out with English just words. I was just sitting there and he brought out this word and he said, as far as that person is right now, they are basking in my love. Anything that you may have did or they may, anything, it, it, it can't enter into where they are right now because they are basking in my love for them in heaven. And it brought back to my mind where it says in John 1, 1, in the beginning, the word and the word with God and the word God, the same was in the beginning with God. And that word where it says with, in John 1 and verse 1, the same was with God. Again, that's that Greek word, P-R-O-S, pros. And it literally means that they were bonded together in an unbreakable, affectionate exchange of a warmth of love that, that nothing could disturb or distract. Isn't that interesting? You know, positionally, Christ has dealt with every single thing that could disturb or distract his love for us. That's opposition, but he's got to work it into our experience. And that's what he was doing with me this morning. That one where it set me just so free in brokenness. It just set me free because the enemy likes to rehearse our failures to try and get us to identify with them. And he gave me that. He said, he literally just was like almost audibly spoken to me. That person is basking in my love. She, that particular person's untouchable. Not only in their position, but in their experience. Ever, nothing can ever enter again. That brings out again in Revelations 21 and verse 4. There will be no more pain, no more dying, no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. For the former things are already passed away. They, can't, they, they, they cannot be touched even in their experience. We still have a lot to grow. That's why we have this experience. But here's this word bask. And when he gave me that, it just set me so free. And I started looking up that word this morning. This is what the word bask means. And this is what Jesus Christ, and of course, in a way that only deity could experience it. No one could experience the, a God this way because it takes God, God the Father, God the Son, with God the Holy Spirit proceeding from both. That's deity. But as far as the, you and I could grow in that, and the reason we have to grow in it is because this is an eternal truth. It's eternal reality of who God is. That's always who he is. He is who he always will be. And so what that brings out here is that in, in this most incredible way, that's why Jesus came out and he threw around him, he tabernacled himself in humanity to bring out that love for you and I to bask in. And it's an amazing thing. Listen, this is what it means to lie in, and that means to rest. To rest or lie in 
or be exposed to a pleasant warmth. To bask in the sunshine. <laughs> and literally, to bask in the sunshine of his love. Our Savior, Jesus Christ. It means to enjoy a pleasant situation. And that simply means, again, in Ephesians 5.20, we can be thankful for all things because he is our beauty in every circumstance and situation. And when we become occupied with him, he starts to warm us up with his love. Every situation. Then we can be thankful in all things in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18. Mean, and it means this. For instance, he basked in royal favor. <laughs> he basked, and you and I are to bask experientially in the royalty of Christ, who is the very grace of God towards us. And love, love conquers and kills evil. It just kills every evil thought, every false thought, every single lie. And this is a verb in this sense here, and we're going to see this. We'll get into it in detail on, on Monday, uh, tomorrow. But it's a verb, and it's used without an object. Now what that means in this particular sense, this English word bask, is used without an object, meaning... Meaning, this is this love in John 1, 1, that was between the Father and Son with the Holy Spirit proceeding. That's without an object. But then, there is the verb that's used with an object. And you and I, because, of, because Christ himself was and is, or is and was this eternal object, when he came out and put on humanity in John 1, verse 14, now we became and have the potential to be those objects of that love, as far as humanity can be, to expose to warmth or heat, the heat and warmth of his love. That's in the English dictionary. But there's a greater, a greater meaning of it too here, and, the, and it is in the British dictionary. And this is the British dictionary definition. It means to lie in or be exposed to pleasant warmth. What is pleasant warmth? Oh, how the Father is so pleased with who Christ is in his person and his humanity and the work that he finished and accomplished. That's why Jesus said in John 8, verse 29, and Holy Spirit gave Paul to repeat it in Romans 15 and verse 3, he always did those things that pleased him. Now, because of that, because Jesus Christ is the grace and truth, he is the fullness of grace and truth in John 1 and verse 14. Because he is that, we see in Isaiah 43 and verse 7 that we were created for his glory. You know, when we receive God's love, even when we don't deserve it, it glorifies him. It's not based upon works, not at all. No wonder it says in John 3 and verse 27, a man can receive nothing except it comes from heaven. And that's John 3.30 also. He must, and that's emphatic, he must increase. But I must decrease. We have the full increase in opposition. But now he has to cause us to decrease. He has to decrease so that the fullness of that grace and truth is we grow step by step and in grace and knowledge in 2 Peter 3 and verse 19. That can be fill up our experience. 
He wants to fill up every experience, every area of growth with his love that flows through grace. And so here, this is what it says. To lie in or be exposed to pleasant warmth, especially that of the sun. We've said before, and we've said it because this is what the Bible, the Holy Spirit has taught us, all of us together, that the, en- the active energy of God's nature is love. The active energy of God's nature is love. The purity of his nature is light. You see, that's what Christ came out of. This love-life relationship put on humanity as the purity of that light. And you know, on cold days, we need the heat of the sun. We need the heat of the sun. And even in this sense, even in this sense, the Bible teaches us that there's a language, even without Bibles, but there is a language in Psalm 19. We have the height of God's language. That's who Christ is and the work that he's accomplished, and we actually know it and are growing in it. But in Psalm 19, in verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night shows knowledge. There is no speech nor language, notice that, no language, where their voice is not heard. No wonder you have all these lies about the creative acts of God, like evolution, <laughs> which, which is the most ridiculous kind of understanding you could even imagine. But where their voice is not heard, their line, their line of instruction, really, their line of instruction, that language that's teaching, is gone out through all the earth and it's revealing. Do you see the signature of God's, of God's creation? It reveals the Creator. And their words, it says, to the end of the world. In them has He set a tabernacle for what? For the sun. For the sun. Warmth. Warmth. Not too hot and not too cold but to keep us in a cool, calm place so that we're overwhelmed in being gay and over, overly cheerful in our life because it's Christ in us. Verse 5 says, which is as a bridegroom. Who's the bridegroom? Who is our bridegroom? In Revelations 19, 7 and 9, Christ is our bridegroom, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. When I read that this morning, Christ... Remember in John 1, 1, he is eternally with the Father, but then he came out of that chamber. What was that chamber? The heat and purity and light and warmth of an affectionate embrace of love that nothing could disturb or distract. And he came out of that chamber. That speaks of the most intimate place, the most sacred intimate place. He came out and put on humanity as our bridegroom. And he came out. He came out basking in his humanity in a love that he has made ours and ours that are in him through receiving him and potential for every single human being. Because in Ezekiel 18 and verse 23 and 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, God's not willing that any person should perish. Meaning live in eternity, for all eternity, without the light and heat of his love for all eternity in darkness, the darkness of hell. 
ultimately the lake of fire. Well, he come, came out as a strong man, filled up with grace and truth, to run a race. And of course, we know this. For each individual, he did this. Yes, it's speaking of creation, but boy, does it bring in a depth of a meaning so that we can understand these, the race that God has for us, okay? It is a marathon. It, is, it takes time. It takes patience. But here, here is Hebrews chapter, chapter 12, and this is what it says in verse 1. It says, wherefore, and the wherefore goes into the most incredible evidence in the 11th chapter. In, in, in Hebrews 12, in verse 1, it says, Wherefore seeing, because we actually see and experience it, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses through the Scriptures. And that's all it teaches. We have this certainty of the Word of God, and that's all that it means. But we have the most solid evidence in Hebrews 11.1. 1. But here, let us lay aside every weight that'll wear us out and heat us up, and the sin which does so easily entangle us and trip us up. And let us run with the patience of his love the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the light, the purity of a love of active energy flowing through the purity of that light. Looking unto Jesus, the beginning, eternal, and our finisher, our end, of our complete dependence, our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of God. So consider him. Oh, consider him, but never consider yourself outside of him. Never consider yourself outside of basking in his love because that's our present reality, and our present reality is our eternal reality. For consider him that endured such contradictions of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied. Have no active energy of God's, of God's love. Be wearied and faint. Give up and quit in your minds. Well, as we close this this morning, it says this, back to Psalm 19 and verse 6, it says, His going forth is from the end of heaven. Not only creation, not only the Son, but bringing out our precious Savior, Jesus Christ, who created every single thing in John 1, 3, and in Colossians 1 and verse 16. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and His circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid Listen, from the heat thereof. That's his active energy of his love. It doesn't, it doesn't cause us to be overly heated up, overly excited with good emotions, or of course never bad, but in a calm, cool place. A calm, cool place. Because it says here, it says here, the law and law here is doctrine, by the way, the teaching. It's the teaching of the word of the Lord that is complete. Converting what? The soul. The testimony of the, of the Lord is sure. It makes wise those that are simple, those that are entreatable, those that are open to the word. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart, the mind and the emotions and the will, the, the conscience, the self-consciousness. The commandment of the Lord is pure. You see the light? 
the light, there's the sun that comes out and warms up the earth. And new beginnings, there's new creations that spring up. And he wants that in our lives personally. Is pure, and what does it do? It lights up our eyes. The fear, the reverential awe of this kind of love life, this kind of light, is clean. Enduring forever, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. They're more to be desired than gold. We're to desire his word, the preaching and teaching of it. We're to desire his word more than gold, yea, even much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the drippings that come from the honeycomb. Now, again, I'm going to close with this here. Again, the British Dictionary definition means to lie in or to be exposed to pleasant warmth, especially that of the sun. That of the sun. Even in this sense. See, we already have that warmth of his love because he's finished the work for us. But soon he's going to come in his love to set up his kingdom for the nation of Israel, for the Jews and all other nations as he rules and reigns over them. This is even brought out here, and we're going to see this again. We'll see it in Malachi. Malachi here, in in verse 4. Verse 4, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Behold, the day comes that will burn as an oven. Now this has to do with the love and justice of God meeting out judgment of those that haven't received Christ. The day comes, and that's a day of judgment, that will burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly as unbelievers are refusing him, constantly refusing him, will be stubble. No wonder that at the Bema seat, that's all going to be burnt up with us in 1 Corinthians 3.13 to 15. It's wood, that's humanity, hay, emotions, and stubble, absolutely no growth. No growth. It'll burn, it'll burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Now, when he he is already our day star, a day star is in the night of his absence. But then we come back with him. In Revelations, the 19th chapter. And then all of a sudden, he is what? But unto you, and this is Israel, and all those other nationalities that will repent and wail in Revelations 1-7 because of him. It says, but unto you that reverence my name, that means Christ, the person of Christ and the work that he's accomplished, will what? Will the son of righteousness Arise with healing in his wings. And then you'll grow up, and you will go forth and grow up like calves in a stall, meaning you just be constantly fed. And that's his millennial kingdom on the earth. We already have that. We already are his stars that brightly light up this world system for others in the night of his absence. And that, even that sense, even God's love and justice. It's his loving justice and his justice in love that even operates in wrath. But for us, there isn't any in 1 Thessalonians 1.10 and 1 Thessalonians 5.9. This is also what it means here very clearly that love 
injustice are the integrity of his inseparable nature. This also, what this word in the British dictionary, bass, means this. It means to flourish and feel secure under some benevolent influence. He's our only influence, Christ. Or favorable condition. It means to lie in warmth and to be exposed to, gen to genial heat. Boy, I had to look that word up. I don't use that one very often. Exposed to genial heat, and it means to be at ease, and that just simply means, in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, all you that labor and are heavy laden, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But you need to take my yoke upon you. You need to submit your will. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, because you will see the gentleness and meekness and humility of my love towards you. And you'll have a rest that nothing can disturb or distract. And so, as we close here again, I think this is the third or fourth time, it means to thrive under benign influences. You know what it means. There's either, if you have a disease, it's either malignant or what? Benign. There's no malignant thought of God towards us outside the love of who Christ is. There's nothing. There's no malignant thinking towards us in his love. No benign influences as to bask, look what it says, to bask in the blaze of the day of the sunshine of his love. Even that is 2 Peter 1, verse 19. We have a more sure word of prophecy because we have the day star lighting us up. Lighting us up. And so we have that, that blaze of that day and it means to bask in the sunshine of royal favor. The very favor that God has and had towards his son, but in terms of his humanity that he came out with to give us. Of course, they're eternal. It's always who they are. You and I will grow in the knowledge of that love for all eternity. And so we see here that work, the work includes the idea of some continuance of exposure to warmth and continually being exposed to the heat and warmth of his love. And it's a genial heat. And here's the word genial. Not just any heat. Not just any. Genial heat. And what is genial? It's a clarifying. God wants to make it crystal clear in every circumstance, and every situation, in the unchanging, immutable thought of us, towards us, in his love life, exposed through the light that his son is in us. That's to be very clear, clarifying. And it means to refine. He's constantly refining us through trials. And 1 Peter 1, 7, that become more precious than gold. And it's more precious in Job 23 and verse 10. And God allows these trials and these things that seem to be so hard for us, nothing's too hard for him in Genesis 18 and verse 14, but they seem to be hard for us. But those trials are bringing up in us all those thoughts that aren't of him, bringing them to the surface so that he can remove them like the goldsmith does. And then he can look in and see the reflection of who he is in us. And he wants us to see, he wants his son to be how we see ourselves, the way that God sees us 
in Job 36, verse 7. He never removes his eyes from the righteous. Never. And so, again, this is what it means. It means clarifying, to be crystal clear, refining, purifying, separating, it says, from extraneous matter, meaning he separates us. That's why we come to hear the word of God, because it separates the soul. That's part that doesn't belong from the spirit. He separates self-conscious life, self-conscious living, condemnation, accusation. He separates them to bring in the heat and warmth of his love. And we'll close with this. I think now this is the fifth time, if my math be correct. But we're going to see how the verbs work. And we'll see it tomorrow. What the difference is between a transitive verb and an intransitive verb in the English language. Because there's so much that we can learn, even in the original English language. Because it's been designed by God, did you know that? He's designed this language for you and I because it's his means of expressing and revealing himself. Just like all the words, the height, the height of the word of God in all of its purity is in the Koine Greek New Testament. It is a known language, but it is the most picturesque language that there is, and that's why God the Holy Spirit chose that language to express God's full thought towards us through Jesus Christ by the power that the Holy Spirit is. And God loves us deeply, and he doesn't want us thinking outside the purity of the light of that love life that's been made ours in Christ. And Father, we thank you and praise you for this truth. In Jesus' name, amen.